Well, here we are at the last Sunday of January. Just a question, but how are you doing on those New Year's resolutions that you made? <laughs> how many of you would be honest enough to admit you're already tanked? You're dead. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, we're talking about change. That's the, the theme of the series called Deep Change. And it's not just about making New Year's resolutions. This series is about the real deep change that God wants to make in each and every one of our lives, whether it's becoming this person that we know that he's calling us to be, whether it's breaking some, through some of these habits or hangups or addictions that we struggle with, we're talking about how does that happen? And uh, today I want to give you another piece in this journey. And if, by the way, if you've missed any in this series, really want to encourage you uh, to go back and listen to it or watch it, uh, not because I spoke it, but because I really believe it's great truth from God's word that you need to hear. I want, to, I want you to look at, if you want to take your sermon outline out, you can track along with me. I want to look at a passage of Scripture today from Exodus chapter 3. We've been looking at change from the perspective of God taking his people, leading his people out of Egypt and to the promised land. And we're looking at the principles that we can learn for how God affects change in our own life. And uh, if you remember in the story, there was a, a young boy who was born, his name was Moses. And Moses was going to become this appointed leader by God. Uh, Moses, if you follow the storyline in Exodus, you'll know that he was not only protected at birth, he was taken in by the princess of Egypt. He was raised, even though he was a Hebrew, he was raised in the Egyptian palace, but he knew he was a Hebrew. When he was a young man, Moses witnessed an Egyptian uh, abusing a Hebrew. And when no one was around, Moses attacked this Egyptian and killed him. And he thought he got away with it. Then he discovered he was known. People knew what he had done. And so Moses, knowing that he was going to be in deep trouble, fled for his life. He went to the mountains, met a woman, got married, uh, started working for her dad, who was a shepherd. And he was up in the mountains tending sheep. And then one day, this is in Exodus chapter 3, he's up on the mountain taking care of the sheep, and he sees this amazing thing. Anybody remember what that was? Yeah, it was a burning bush. Not just a burning bush, but a, a bush that was on fire that wasn't being consumed. It was just kept on burning. And Moses thought, well, this is really weird. And so he said, I'm going to step aside and take a look at this. And, but when he, and when he got close to the bush, the bush started talking to him. Now, how many of you, that would freak you out just a little bit? Yeah, it's bush starts talking, and, and it's the voice of God, and God is, you know, God is speaking directly to Moses, and he has a task for Moses to do. And this is where we pick up the story today in Exodus chapter 3, beginning at verse 7. And then the Lord told him, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. Now, let me stop right there. Look at me for a second. This is just a great word. We kind of blow right past this, but I don't want you to miss this. God saw what the people were going through. Look at me. And God sees you. And he knows exactly where you're at. And he knows exactly what you're dealing with. And he knows exactly what you are going through. And you need to know this. He cares deeply about that. And he says, I have heard the cries of the, their cries of distress because of the harsh slave drivers. Yes, I am aware of their suffering. And so I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile land, fertile and spacious land. It is a land flowing with milk and honey. 
And here's what he says to Moses. Now go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people Israel out of Egypt. Now let me stop there for a second. <laughs> Moses is a wanted man in Egypt. You know, he's a, he's a murderer who he knows people are gonna know who he is. And if, if you were Moses and God says, I want you to go back to a place where you're wanted for murder and lead my people out of Egypt, how would you respond to that? Well, probably the same way Moses did. Look, look at what he says. But Moses protested to God, read it with me. Who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Keep reading. Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? And God answered, I will be with you. Now, what happened to Moses when God revealed this plan of what he was going to do is the same thing that often happens to us when we get confronted with the change that we need to make in our own lives. And it's summed up in one word, fear, fear. When Moses heard the plan of God, he became afraid. And I'm going to guess as we've talked about change in this series, and as some of you have come to terms with some of your own stuff and the things that you know you need to overcome in your life, my guess is that fear has been a part of some of our journey. And that's what I want to talk about today. I read a great story this week. There is a, a guy who was seeing a therapist on a regular basis because of his own fear. And his fear, it, it was kind of childish, he thought. Um, he had a fear of monsters under his bed. And so here he is, a grown man, and he's seeing this therapist regularly and talking to him about this fear that there are monsters under his bed. And every, every time he would come back to the therapist, the therapist would say, well, how's it going? And the guy says, I'm still afraid. He said, you're not any better. He said, no, I'm not any better. And they, they would talk some more. And the therapist kept trying to give him ideas and talk him through things, but nothing worked, nothing worked. And finally, one day he comes in to see the therapist and the therapist says, how you doing? The guy says, I'm doing great. And he said, really? How, how about your fear? He goes, I'm not afraid anymore. And the therapist said, that's amazing. How did that happen? And the guy said, I saw another doctor. <laughs> I thought that was funny. He said, I saw another doctor. And the, guy, the therapist said, well, that's fine. But what did, the, what did the other doctor tell you that got rid of your fear? He said, the other doctor told me, go home and cut the legs off your bed. Let that sink in for a second. That's just genius. That's just genius. That'll be $125, by the way. Go home and, go home and cut the legs off your bed. Well, that, that's what I want to do today. Uh, in, in the time I have this morning, I want to, I want to cut the legs off your bed of fear. I, I want to help you address the fear that's keeping you from changing into who God's calling you to be. Are you ready? Here we go. First, I want to just look at, say, well, Pastor Steve, what are some of the fears that we deal with? Let me, let me give you a few. You may have different ones from this, but let me just give you a few that I thought of this week. One, we're afraid of failing. We're afraid of failing. Some of us have tried to change time and time again, and we failed time and time again. And sometimes when we start feeling like, you know, I need to change, or I start hearing God say, you need, you know, you need to do this with God, but I tried this. I've tried and I've tried, and I failed every time. Look at me. But just because you haven't done it, it doesn't mean you can't do it. Amen? Just because you haven't done it doesn't mean you can't 
do it. Sometimes we only overcome through multiple opportunities of attacking it. Secondly, and it kind of ties to this, we're afraid of disappointing. For some of us, you know, we've, we've told our spouse, I'll change. We've told close friends, I'll change. We've told an accountability partner, I'll, I'll change. And then we have it and, and, and we're just afraid. You know what, if I, if, I try to, if I really try this, if I try to make this advancement, if I try to announce I'm gonna change, I'm afraid I'm gonna disappoint people all over again. And you know, I, I don't wanna disappoint people anymore. We're afraid of the unknown. This is a big one. We're afraid of the unknown. This, is, this grips a lot of people. When I talk to people about going to celebrate recovery, you know, they get these eyes open like this, like deer in the headlights, like, what's that going to be like? You know, because they don't know. They, are they going to ask me questions? Are they going to, you know, how, what are they going to think about me? What are other people going to think if I go to, you know, all these unknowns that begin to happen or begin to talk to people about counseling. I can remember the very first time I ever went in to see a counselor when I was dealing with some of my own family of origin stuff from years ago. And I can remember just shaking like a leaf when I walked into this therapist's office because I thought, man, you know, what's their, what are they going to ask me? What's he going to, you know, what's he going to say? And, and, and this fear of the unknown is, is, is huge. It's huge. And we have, to, we have to address that fear. We're afraid of the responsibility. This is going to hurt a bit. Afraid of the responsibility. You remember in, in John chapter 5, there's this great story of Jesus coming to uh, this place called the Pool of Bethesda. And there's all kinds of kind of sick people laying there trying to get into this, what they believe to be a magical pool. And Jesus walks up to this guy who's been laid at this place every day, I think for like 38 years. And he's, Jesus walks up to him and Jesus says something mind-blowing. Anybody remember what Jesus said? Do you want to get well? Now, when you take that at face value, you're going, are you crazy? Of course I want to, you know, I mean, been laying here for 38 years. Who wouldn't want to get well? But think about it for a second. Because all this guy had known was laying by a pool and begging for help. Hadn't developed a trade, doesn't have a profession. How's, what's he going to do? All of a sudden, he's going to be asked, you know, to, to be on his own responsible for himself. You got to get this. There are some of us who have been sick so long, sick is all we know. And we're afraid. Because what if I, what if I don't have this crutch to lean on anymore? And I've actually got to be responsible. That's a fear. Can I give you one more? It's fear of being discovered. Fear of being discovered. You know, I don't, I don't even have to ask you to show a hand. There are a lot of us in this room watching online. I, I guarantee you there are a lot of us. We're deathly afraid of people discovering who we really are. Because we're afraid you won't like us if you really knew. We're afraid you would think less of us if you really knew. People live with this, this thing we call dissonance. And dissonance, if you, let me picture this for you. Think about up here, this is the person you project yourself to be. This is the person you want people to believe you are. They want, you want people to believe you have it together, that you're, you're on top of the world, that you've got your act, you know, and you're, you're doing fine. This down here, this is the person you know you are. This is the person where you know your struggles, you know your fears, you know your failures. In fact, some of the, for some of us, this is actually lower than it really is because we have a pretty poor image of ourselves. And the distance between those two places, that's called dissonance. And that dissonance is tension. 
And that tension is a, is a fear that someday it, people, people are going to really discover who I am and they're not going to like me anymore. They're going to really str- discover what I struggle with and they're going to they're feel very, you know, very bad about me. And, and for a lot of us, it's that, that fear. We don't really want to dive into change because, man, what if people really see me as I, are, as I am and they don't love me anymore? All of those fears, and I'll, and I'll bet there are a dozen others. Well, I want to I want to address that today, and I want I want to give you some hope and some handles on on really dealing with that fear, so that you can overcome, so that you can break the shackles that are holding you, so that you can make the changes, become who God is calling you to be. Are you ready? I'm just going to give you three thoughts, and I'll give them to you quick. Here's the first one. First thing I, I need you to understand is that the, this road to change, it's paved with steps of faith. If you want to understand, Pastor Steve, how, how does change really happen? Here's how it happens. It happens through steps of faith. Look at me. Faith is the antidote to fear. Would you say that with me? Faith is the antidote to fear. Think with me uh, about about how Jesus led his disciples from being fishermen to being apostles upon which he built the church. Do you know how Jesus shaped them in to those kinds of people? One step of faith at a time. He showed them something and he charged them to do it. He showed them something else and they had to do it. And they're stepping like this, one step of faith at a time. That's why I love what Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 5, 7. Read it out loud with me. For we live by faith, not by sight. I saw a picture last week and I was trying to just imagine in my own mind what the, what the road of, of, of change looks like. And then I saw this picture, I thought, this is it. Throw it up on the screen for me. This is what it looks like. How many of you have ever crossed over a river or a creek on stones before? It's not like walking, you think of a paved road. You know, a paved road, you can just walk along, look at the clouds, you know, take pictures with your camera, do selfies, you know, kind of stuff. You know, you, you can do all of that stuff. Um, but when you're, when you're walking on that kind of road, you gotta focus, and you got to take a risk, and you got to you got to step, and all these things are going through your mind. What if what if there's moss on that stone and I slip? What if I fall in the water and everybody laughs? You know. But these steps of faith are how God shapes you. He challenges you. Take a step of faith. The first of which is to, to surrender yourself to Him as Savior and Lord. He's saying, you know, if you really want to get on top of your life, you need me in your life. And you got to take that step of faith and surrender me as Savior. And then he, he takes you to another place and say, now, are you ready to turn this over to me? And how about that? Are you ready to turn that over? Think about Moses. As God tells him on this mountain, I need you to go back to Pharaoh. Think about the steps of faith Moses had to take. He has to, first of all, believe that this is really God talking to him. He has to go back to Egypt believing he's not going to be arrested and, and, and tried for murder. Then he has to go up to the elders of the people of Israel, you know, the, the leaders, and he has to tell them, think, think, imagine yourself doing it, going up to the elders of Israel, and he has to say, God spoke to me through a burning bush. And these elders are looking at each other like, dude, you had a, you had a few too mushrooms on those mountains, you know what I'm saying? You know, and, and, and you know he, he had to take that by faith, and then he had to walk into Pharaoh's court by faith 
believing he'd be heard. He had, to, he had to perform miracle after miracle by faith. They had to leave by faith. They got to the Red Sea and they had to part it by faith. They get across and they had to turn bitter water into drinkable water by faith. They went into the, the wilderness and they had to have manna by faith, quail by faith, water by faith. Are you seeing the pattern here? The only way, don't miss this, the only way you can become the person God is calling you to be is one step of faith at a time. That's worth the price of admission this morning right there. But I'll give you a little more. I love what Paul says in Philippians chapter one and verse six. Read it with me. He says, and I am certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. In other words, as we take steps of faith, God continues the good work of shaping us into his people. There's a second thought, and this is really important too, because it's so easy to get discouraged when you're going through the process of change. And here it is. Keep your eye on the promise, not the pain. Keep your eye on the promise, not the pain. Change is uncomfortable. Amen? Just do a little exercise right here for a second. Put your notes down. Look at me for a second. I want you to just fold your arms. Get real comfortable right there in your pew. Don't fall asleep. Just kind of... Some of you, go ahead and wake up right now. Yeah, 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 just fold your arms, get, get real comfortable. Now, uh, I want you to do something. If, you, if you're like me, I have my right hand on top, my left hand tucked under. I want, you, I want you to reverse it and put your other hand on top and your other hand on the bottom. Now, how many, go, how many of you would say, Pastor Steve, that's really annoying? Right? Yeah, yeah, that doesn't feel good, does it? No, why? Because it's not what you're used to. And this is what I want you to understand. Change, even though it's a wonderful thing, it's a painful process. It's a painful process. And if you get fixated on the pain, think about this with Moses. If Moses would have gotten discouraged the first time he got rejected by the elders, he'd have been out. If he would have, if he would have quit the first time Pharaoh pushed back, he would have, he would have come out. If he, would have, if he would have given up the first time the people complained, he, he would have given up. But you have to fight through that pain. And how do you do it? You keep your eye on that goal. God said, I've got a land for you. It's a good land. It's a land that flows with milk and honey. It is a promised land. But the only way to enjoy the promise is to push through the pain. Does that make sense to you? I had a, a, a gal in our church in, in Phoenix. She's on our staff. Her name was Jan. She was our administrator. And I remember walking in her office one time. Jan had told our staff that she was really trying to reclaim her health and lose weight and, and to get healthier. And I walked in her office to talk to her one day. And on her desk, she had a picture of herself from several years before where she was younger, obviously, but, but also thinner and looked very healthy. And she had put a note by that picture on her desk that said, yes, Jan, you can look like this again. I love it. You see, how many of you have ever tried to lose weight and found it hard? Yeah, 
I mean, if, if losing weight was easy, we'd all be young and thin and healthy, man. I mean, you know what I'm saying? It, it's, it's not easy to push those things you want aside. I remember one of our congregation members when we had a, had a late was, uh, weight loss thing challenge several years ago, and he had lost like 60 pounds. And I said, man, how in the world did you, did you do it? And he said, well, I put, whenever I put food in my mouth, if it tastes good, I spit it out. <laughs> and I thought that's what it feels like sometimes, you know? Anybody can lose weight, eat styrofoam all the time, you know? But it's, it's, it's not easy. It's not easy to do those things, but you have to keep your eye on what is that goal? Who is it that God is calling me to be? Again, I love, I love how Paul frames this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He says, for our present troubles are small, and they won't last very long, yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them all and will last forever. Read it with me. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. That's the promise. I love this passage from Hebrews 12. The Hebrews writer says, and let us run with endurance the race that Jesus has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on who? On Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Now read this with me. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now think this thought with me. You, you've, if you've read the story of Passion Week, you know how awful it was, how Jesus was mocked, uh, how he was made fun of. You saw how he was whipped, how he had a crown of thorns placed on his head. You, you saw how he was stripped and, and nailed to a cross. And when you read that story and you ask yourself the question, how did Jesus go through that? How did he endure that? Do you know the answer? It's you. Jesus thought of you. You see, Jesus knew what his sacrifice would bring. That it would bring about the salvation of God's children who were so far from him. You see, if Jesus would thought about how big those thorns were or, or how much those nails hurt or, or, or how bad it felt, if, if he would have focused on all of that, it would have been impossible to her. But Jesus, who for the joy set before him, the joy of knowing what he was going to accomplish, the joy of knowing who you could become, the joy of redemption was what Jesus kept his focus on. And if you're going to push through change, I promise you, you got to focus on the promise, not the pain. Amen. Amen. Let me give you one more. You have to put more faith in God's sufficiency. Then you do your own inadequacy. You have, you have to put more faith in God's sufficiency. Then you do your own inadequacy. Look at me. Do you know why many of us fail in trying to change? We put too much faith in us rather than in him. Can we, can we go back to the story a second? You're Moses. You're up on the mountain. God has just said to you, I want you to go back to Egypt. I want you to tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And what did Moses say to God? Who am I? 
Who am I that I'm going to do this? And don't you love what God said? You're nobody. You're an idiot. <laughs> you're, you're a felon. You're a refugee. But what did God say? I will be with you. Say it with me, church. I will be with you. I'm not telling you you can change today because you have that much ability within you. I'm telling you you can change because you have a God who is greater than you are. And that's where you have to put your trust. Not who I am, but who he is. But Pastor Steve, what happens when I get afraid? Psalm 56.3, read it with me. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. Great story. Throw that picture up on the screen for me. That handsome man, is a name is Charles Blondin. That's his English name. He had a, actually was French and name was Jean-Francois something or other. But he took, on the, uh, he took on the English name Charles Blondin after he moved to the U.S. And uh, he was uh, an incredible guy. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard, heard his story or, or that, but this is what he was famous for. Throw that picture up on the screen. He was a, a tightrope walker. And um, not just a tightrope walker, but probably, arguably, the, the greatest tightrope walker of all time. Um, it, in fact, one of his manager once said that if he had lived 100 years before, because of his ability to balance and do all these things, that people would have thought he was a witch or had a demon because he had absolutely no fear. Uh, even, he was like two years old. He started t- taking chairs and tying a rope between them and walking across. I mean, at two. Some of you got two-year-old that try that, but they end up in the ER. But he, he did this stuff. Um, he was he, in, I don't remember what, it was in the mid or late 1800s, um, he went after the U.S., he decided he wanted to do something. So this is him walking across Niagara Falls. How many of you have ever been to Niagara Falls? Yeah, it's terrifying. I can't, I can't even imagine this, but they, they, they tied this rope. It's like almost a quarter of a mile long, this big cable that he walked on. And uh, he, he, he walked across this thing. There were like 25,000 people all gathered on both sides, on the Canadian-American side, watching this. Nobody believed he could do it. But he did. In fact, he walked, he walked over to the other side. In the middle, uh, they did it, made the cable as tight as they could, but in the middle, about, about 50 feet in, there's a 50-foot stretch where it sagged, and uh, that was a little precarious. So he walked over, and then when he came back, once he got parked that sagging, sagging part, he ran on the cable to the rest of the way. Oh, that's not all. Over the course of the years, he walked back and forth across Niagara Falls over 300 times. This guy was nuts. He was just absolutely nuts. He, uh, uh, let me just read you a few of his. He, he crossed at night. He had to do it in the dark. He, did it, he put a, head, a, a locomotive headlamp on each end and walked in the dark toward the light. Yeah. He, he crossed with his body in shackles. They let him shackle him, and, and he, he crossed like this. He crossed over, one time, he crossed over carrying a table and chairs. And when he got to the middle, he put balanced the table on the wire, then balanced the chair, sat on the chair, and put his feet up on the table. This is nuts. He, he went across doing 
backflips on, on the wire. One time he went out to the middle of the cable and he just sat down and ate a piece of cake. His most famous one that, that they talk about, this was just nuts, he, he carried a stove and utensils on his back, a small stove with utensils on his back, got to the middle, got the stove put together, balanced on the cable, lit a fire in the stove, took the utensils and cooked an omelet right there in the middle of the cable. Then when he was done, he lowered the omelet down 190 feet to the mate of the mist boat that was in the water below him. But that wasn't my favorite one. Throw that next picture up on the screen. That was my favorite one. There were several times when, when Charles did this tightrope walking, he would, he would take a wheelbarrow over and he'd put stuff in the wheelbarrow. He always offered volunteers from the audience who would like to get in the wheelbarrow, but nobody would ever take him up. But his manager, Harry, his manager agreed to go over on his back. Now, Picture this. Charles Blondin is not a big man. He's five foot tall. He weighs 140 pounds. But he's carrying his manager on his back across. And I, and I love it. And, and the article at the Smithsonian, when they were, when they were talking about him, here, here's what they said. When, when, when Harry climbed up on, on, on Charles's back, here's, here's, what, here's what Charles Blondin said to him. He said, Look up, Harry, not down. Look up, not down. You are no longer Harry. You today are Charles Blondin. Until I clear this cable, be a part of me, mind, body, and soul. How I move, you move. And if you will move as I move and not do this on your own, we will get safely to the other side. Look at me. That's your picture. You're looking at this tightrope of change and you're saying, I can't do this. And you're absolutely right. But there is a God who can. And he invites you to put the full weight of your faith upon him. And he makes you this promise. If you will stay with him and not try to do this on your own, he will get you to the other side. Amen. Change, healing, wholeness. It all starts with one step of faith. And my challenge to you today is this. Are you willing and ready to take that step of faith? I don't know where you are in your journey. I don't know what it is that God needs and wants to do in your life. I don't, I don't know whatever it is that you're dealing with that you need to overcome or, or the changes that you need to happen. But I do know this. You can't do it on your own. You need the power and the presence of God. Our Father, we come before you today with just uh, humble hearts admitting that we, we can't work the change in our lives that needs to happen, not the deep change. Only you can do that by your power and your spirit. 
I said, Lord, I pray that you would just stretch forth your hand. You, you see everyone in this room. You watch, see everyone who's watching online. You know exactly where they are and exactly how they need you. And I pray today, Lord, that you would touch them with your holy hand. Father, I, I pray today. I pray for those that maybe today is their very first step of faith. Today, they, they're just tired of doing life on their own. And today, Lord, they're just surrendering their hearts and their lives to you to, to be their Savior, to forgive their past, to put your spirit within them, to show them the road before them. And God, today, for those who are praying that prayer, wrap your arms of grace around them. Let them know how you've waited for this moment in time. And Father, for many others of us who are on this faith walk, who, who are stepping from stone to stone and steps of faith to become who you've called us to be. Some of us are bound by fear. Lord, would you break those shackles and in your perfect love, would you cast out all that fear? Father, I, I pray that you would put, our, put your hand upon our shoulders today. I pray that you would give us the courage to take the steps of faith that will allow you to continue your good work in us. Lord, we know we'll never be perfect. We know we'll never look exactly like you until that day we get to glory. But between here and there, would you shape us into your likeness? a little bit each day as we walk in faith with you. We love you so much, Lord. Thank you that you never leave us or forsake us. It's in your precious name that we pray today. And everyone said, amen.